previously on West of Everest. We're invested in Baker Mayfield's story, the Oklahoma football program, and everything they did on Saturday was fantastic. His statue absolutely does look like the T-1000 from Terminator 2. It's just really inconvenient for me, and that's a problem. I still think they need to be in the portal looking for a running back. And I just kind of got the sense of feeling that both of those players look a lot more comfortable than they ever have. And I have no evidence to back it up. You told me before the show started that you really wanted to hit on Michael Bowens because he's your favorite quarterback of all time. I Yeah, I did say that. You got me. I might have said can't miss because I was feeling nice. And also because I'm, I'm an idiot. A complete idiot. I don't think, you know, anything that happened on Saturday is going to derail my thoughts that he's very obviously your 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. You got yourself a deal, gentlemen. Lights on. Let's turn and burn. Fanboy, you see him? Nothing on the radar up ahead. He must be somewhere behind us. We don't get fooled again. Just an epic, epic podcast episode the last time out. You know, so much time has passed by, I completely forgot that Grant and I joined Top Gun and helped save the world nearly three months ago. Welcome back to West of Everest. I am Lee Benson, and I hope you enjoyed that silly bit to open the show. There might be a little bit of confusion. I understand that. Uh, Just to clear some things up, the last clip you heard was not from our last episode of West of Everest in April. It was a scene from the new Top Gun movie, which uh, Grant texted me yesterday saying that we should spend the first hour of the show on Top Gun and then kind of just figure out what we're going to do from there. So let's welcome in Grant Benson for the first time in almost three months. And I'm going to ask him, uh, is that still the plan moving forward, Grant? Honestly, in a perfect world, Lee, it most certainly would be. Um, I mean, there's there's obviously some things that are important that we need to talk about, but I think it's very it's very clear what the what the priorities are here. But uh, no, it's not lost on me that we, uh, we, you know, as a podcast, we basically took about a two and a half month break. And then uh, literally the very first reference that we make is a movie that's at this point in time, eight weeks old. I love it. It's perfect. <laughs> We're just right on cue. I mean, it's one of the most popular movies in years. So at least everyone listening to the episode probably understands the reference. So I hope so. And if not, then please go see it because I, I, it's still in theaters. I think I, I need to see it again. Um, I will at some point. I've uh, seen it. So you know, never mind. I've I've seen it. I've seen it numerous <laughs> times in the theaters. We're not going to go there. It's pound for pound one of the best movies ever made. If you haven't seen it, go see it. And that's that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> uh, until the end of the show, when we might say more, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how far we go. Uh, like you mentioned, like I mentioned, you know, it's been almost three months since our last episode. Big Twelve football media days are behind us now. Oklahoma's added some new players since we last talked to you. One of those is a running back, which you heard Grant reference or call for in the opening bit we played. Uh, I know that recruiting is going well for Oklahoma. I can't remember if Jackson Arnold had been upgraded to a five-star, uh, a five-star quarterback since the last time we were here. Uh, but just a whole lot of meat on the bone right now to talk about today. But to get the ball rolling, let's keep it simple. It's best to just share our thoughts, I believe, of where we think Oklahoma is right now as a program. And how do we feel about this team as we sit now, you know, just a couple of weeks away from fall camp kicking off? So, Grant, I'll throw it over to you. Is Oklahoma going to be good at football this year? Like, this is obviously, this is the seminal question, right? This is like the one thing that everyone has just been sort of dancing around. And, I, you know, it's, 
we got to answer the question, right? Because like it's been it's been nearly three months since the end of the spring game. A lot has happened. We're I mean we're nearly two weeks from fall camp starting, and I don't know. It's it, it's been an interesting thing because I do feel like the the Big Twelve poll came out. OU wasn't picked to win it for the first time since since twenty fifteen. Uh, they didn't they didn't place anyone except for Michael Turk on the you know on the on the first team all Big Twelve stuff yada 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 everyone knows that story already and so I kind of like I I feel some sort of like weird disrespect towards OU going into this season mostly whereas like people kind of in Big Twelve country and maybe nationally as well are just trying way too hard are just thinking way too hard about this um, so I guess to go back and just kind of circle around what you said is OU going to be good this year yeah yeah. I, this this is going to be their best team since 2017 in all likelihood in my in in my estimation, um, and I think they're going to surprise. Starting with the hot takes right away, going in with the hot takes right off the bat. I like it. Okay. Well, I mean, I I mean, I got I got some reasoning to back it up. We can get into which you know we'll get into uh, you know leading up to September, but this yeah. is a uh, you know by from where we've come from since the spring to where we are right now. I've basically settled into it. This is an OU team that is poised to surprise people and actually kind of take people by uh, by storm this year, I think. Well, to answer the question, I'll use my experience at Media Days last week to kind of help me go through everything. I get it. I know everybody always feels really good at Media Days, the coaches, the players, everybody there. It's in the middle of the summer. We're all kind of dying to talk football, but yet we still have you know a month and a half until the real games start. There's no reason for anybody to feel down on anything. Uh, so with that caveat, the vibes I got from Brent Venables, from Dylan Gabriel, Marvin Mims, Ethan Downs, and Woody Washington, they were all just, they were all so good. They were, they were so, so good. All of, those, all of those participants, they all seemed genuinely happy to be there. Brent Venables did his thing. He talked OU football a lot. It's, it's always difficult to get questions in with Brent Venables because he likes to talk about OU football so much. We're used to that. We saw that in the spring. We saw that since he got there, you know, in December and January, February and March and so on. Uh, no surprise for us, but the non-OU media, I think, was definitely kind of put off by it. They weren't used to it yet. So that was kind of fun to see somebody else experience that. I asked Brent Venables about, uh, you mentioned Michael Turk being the only guy in the preseason All-Big 12 team. I asked him about that, and we'll get into all the preseason stuff here uh, coming up, the preseason poll uh, and, and whatnot, you know, but, you know, just one sooner on the preseason All-Big 12 team. It's the first time that more OSU Cowboys are on the preseason team than Sooners are since, I believe, 2013. So it's been almost a decade since this has happened. And Venables tweeted after that Big 12, All-Big 12 preseason list came out, he tweeted, quote, you're going to, you know, this team is going to get what they earn. And so I asked Venables about that. And I asked if it was an example of just, you know, simple extra motivation going into a college football season. And Venables told me that he wasn't looking for any extra motivation, but he, he actually did like seeing the, the preseason All-Big 12 team because with college kids, particularly if you're an OU football player, you know, sometimes you're living in your own little bubble. And a lot of people in Norman are always telling you how good you are. And so Brent Venables excuse me, Venables told me that he liked that the preseason All-Big 12 team was a reminder to these players on Oklahoma that they haven't earned anything yet, uh, no matter what they think about themselves here in the middle of July. So, uh, you know, about this team as a whole, I'm like you. I feel really, really good about everything. I feel really, really good about it. And I might be drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. I certainly was 
a lot more than you were, you know, whenever all this stuff went down, you know, when Lincoln Riley left and, and uh, you know, I, I think both of us were, were happy about the Brent Venables hire. Uh, but I'll, I've said it before on this podcast. It's been a while. I'll, I'll say it again. Brent Venables is a really, really damn good football coach. And perhaps more importantly, he's a huge believer in culture. And I'm putting a ton of stock into this, but I think the culture last season in Norman, I thought it was toxic. I thought it was rotten, maybe a little bit of both. And since 2017, since Lincoln Riley took over the program, I think that the culture within Oklahoma's program has decayed slowly since then. And Brent Venables is somebody who can come in and immediately bolster that and repair that and make it better. And I think he already has. You, you bring in a guy like Dylan Gabriel. He's a good culture guy. Everybody loves him. I mean, immediately he got on campus, became a leader, reached out to everybody. This summer he's been hosting. Uh, he, he said at Media Days he rented an Airbnb in Lawton for a couple of days over the weekend. Everybody came out just for the guys to spend time together. And he said no cell phones, which was – I'm kind of curious how they enforce that, but – uh, that's not really the story. And, and I saw recently over this past week, and I saw people tweeting that he and the offensive line went to the lake and hung out. So, I mean, that's typical quarterback stuff. I get it. But talking to Dylan Gabriel, everything you've heard from him, he's just he's a genuine dude. He told us at Media Days, relationships are the most important thing to him. And that's I think he can kind of share that with Brent Venables. So the quarterback is new, but he's a guy that is saying all the right things. And he has some talent. And the coaches are perhaps more important. You got Todd Bates in. You got Miguel Chavis. We've heard them talk. Uh, he kept some offensive coaches that a lot of the players really liked. Cale Gundy, Bill Biedenboe, DeMarco Murray in that room. And you know, De Those are all soon. I mean, I know uh, Biedenboe is not necessarily a, you know, a sooner, but, I mean, he is now. He told us in the spring, like, Oklahoma is his home. He loves OU. He loves Oklahoma. Uh, so, And I'm leaving some important names out. I know there's other important players and, and guys he's brought in. But everything that's happened since Brent Venables took over this program has been, I think it's been outstanding. And more specifically, the defense. It's going to be immediately more fundamentally sound, I think, under Brent Venables. How can it not be? And I think by the end of this upcoming year, by the end of 2022, we'll all be saying that, hey, that defense in 2022, it was better than what we saw at the end of Alex Grinch's tenure at Oklahoma, which, to be fair, is not saying a whole lot because – that defense last year, it declined quite a bit from 2020 to 2021. I mean, the defense in 2022, I think, should be better. Offensively, that's the question mark, right? And I know we're going to get more into this as we get closer to spring ball. I'm sorry, fall camp. Wow, we're past spring ball. We're close to fall camp. I mean, I think the offense is going to be good. I just don't know how good it's going to be. There's a lot of really good pieces everywhere. Dylan Gabriel's a capable quarterback. I'm not going to call him a Heisman Trophy contender. Uh, but I do want to see him operate in Jeff Lebby's offense before I make any sort of really strong assessments on him. I want to see how he looks against non-AAC competition. Uh, but fortunately, he's super comfortable in this offense. And for a brand-new quarterback at Oklahoma, that's a huge deal. He's, he knows the offense. There's no learning curve there. And he's helped Jeff Lebby with helping other guys and teaching other guys. So if you could pick one player – who knows a brand-new offense. you got a brand-new offense being installed. If you could pick one guy that actually knows the offense, obviously you'd pick the quarterback. And so I know I'm kind of going on a long diatribe here. I'm almost done, Grant. Uh, my opinion on this Oklahoma team, it hasn't really changed since the spring. I felt really good about the direction of the program then. Uh, not just down the line, 
but like immediately. I mean, going into 2022. And I know we, we talked about this, I think, probably during the spring. We'll talk about it more either today or, or in the future. I mean, I don't seriously think this is going to be a, a national championship competing type team this year just because there's been so much change. Although I, I'm going to talk myself into it, I'm sure, at some point. I'm going to convince myself of that at some point that they are. Uh, OU is in a really good spot right now. And I always figured Oklahoma would be, even when Lincoln Riley left and everything was really uncertain. I just, I don't know. I just, I really had a lot of confidence in Joe Castiglione and that it's Oklahoma. They're going to find the right guy, the right fit. And so far it seems like they have. So to pat myself on the back a little bit, I'm pretty happy that my initial thoughts that when, when, when Lincoln Riley left, my initial thoughts that Oklahoma was going to be fine. I don't think those are crazy. So good on you. I'm excited about good it. Good on you. I want to, s- because that was, <laughs> that was the level, you know, at the time that was the level headed response to everything. That was the most likely outcome of anything that OU was going to be just fine. And that they were going to continue to be OU because that is, you know, Hey, past history does not, does not guarantee future results. But in college football, it's about as close to a to a, you know to a true fact as you can get, really. So, you know, it's I think at you know cliche alert here. I think at the end of the day, the reason why I feel so good about OU and like you just kind of you laid it out pretty succinctly, you know, pretty um, you know in in kind of big picture terms. But you know, gun to my head, um, if I have to put it in just a few words, OU is going to be really good this year because they have a lot of guys on their roster who have started a lot of games in college football. And they have a really good coaching staff, and they're playing. And they're playing in a in a conference that graduated a lot of people, a lot of big time players, and graduated uh, graduated experienced quarterbacks as well. And so I just I think when you look at college football as an institution that has a history that has a pretty pretty clear track record, and you look at OU and what they have on their roster. Historically speaking, teams in their position right now have a lot of success, have a lot of success. And um, when you kind of marry that principle with OU as a brand, with OU as a historical program, that's where, that's where I come to the conclusion that people in the Big 12 country, people nationally who are kind of pumping the brakes a little bit, they're trying a little bit too hard. They're thinking a little bit too hard about this. To be fair, you, said Oklahoma, uh, you say Oklahoma's got a really good coaching staff, and I agree with you. We also really liked their coaching staff under Lincoln Riley. I mean, we, we really did. And Oklahoma was good. Don't get, like, they, weren't, they weren't bad. They were a good team. Uh, our issue was always, it seemed like they, now that we can, can, can look back at it from a you know, 10,000, maybe that's not even the right way to put it. Maybe it is from a 10,000-foot view or whatever that cliche is. Now that we can look back at it, the issue, I think, it's a, yeah, it, it was a good coaching staff. It was. But it seems like overall, as far as what, their standard was or what they should have been they never reached it they never got to where we wanted them to go or based on the talent on the team uh what they should have been as far as heck i mean just they made some playoffs but they were competitive in one of them in one of the playoff games under lincoln riley and they didn't win one they couldn't win a playoff game and so we we did like the coaching staff i agree so i i bring that up just because again like we want to be consistent here uh, we, we don't want to just crap all over Lincoln Riley and his staff because for years we were praising them and for good reason. Uh, but there's a little bit of a difference. I mean, Brent Venables is a brand new head coach, but he's been 
perhaps the best defensive coordinator in college football for a decade or longer. If not, if he's not the best, he's in the top three or maybe even top two. And so we're kind of using that example and the fact that he's won national titles at Oklahoma and at Clemson, and he's coached under some Hall of Fame coaches, and he has that background, and he's learned so much under Dabo Sweeney and Bob Stoops and Bill Snyder. And all of that, it's just a recipe for him to come in, and I get that he's a first-time head coach, but I've said it a million times now, and I'm, I'm so confident that he's got to be the most prepared first-time head coach ever. I don't know if, how anybody else could be more prepared than him in a first-year situation. And when you throw in the fact that he has so much talent on this roster that, especially on the defensive side of the ball, probably was not being unleashed or was not, getting, uh, was not being made the most of. And you hear Brent Venables talk at, at media days. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot of guys, and of course he's going to say this. I mean, it's all talk right now. We're, we're going to see results on the field come fall camp in, in the games. But some players have taken jumps not just from January but from spring to now in the summer a couple of names that come to mind and I kind of get into the weeds a little bit but this is no you football podcast throw it out there I mean um now I'm uh now I'm blanking Eaton Josh Eaton uh, Josh Eaton's one of the names that stood out to me he uh, Brent Venables brought up Josh Eaton by name and and said that when he first got here his interpretation of Josh was that he was kind of silly he did he didn't take things as serious as he should and that he's seen growth and that he's a player that he's actually noticed. Uh, like you got to get to the point where you take it seriously and you work hard. And then you get to the point where you're kind of you're walking around with some extra confidence. And then your teammates see that. And then your teammates kind of like, oh, that's that guy's a bad dude. And Britt Venables is saying that he's seeing a guy like Josh Eaton progress in that way. And I'm so I'm curious to see what he looks like because he's got the great a great body type. I mean, I'm going to push back. I'm going to push back on you on you real quick, just because we're getting a little we're, we're getting a little little. Uh a little too up the uh, you know up the butt of Brent Venables, and so I just, I just want to push back. Um, I because of last year and because of kind of the previous staff and whatever happened, I am instantly skeptical of anybody bringing up anybody kind of in the off season who has done well. And um, that's 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 a new rule for me. Whereas I am not. Hey, talk is cheap, man. That's one. That's that's one of the oldest cliches in the book. But there's a reason it's one of the oldest cliches in the book. I'm not, I don't want to hear any of this stuff anymore. <laughs> I'm like, okay. it's, I was, I, we, we were pumped up so much under the last staff. And I'm, and you know, I, I, I have a, I have a you know, pretty good feeling that a lot of that talk was coming from the previous staff, you know, when, when people were being pumped up and were being, and it, necess, it didn't necessarily um, reflect reality. I, I, I think that was probably coming from, from people who are no longer at OU anymore. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I just think that's, that's a pretty human, a human thing that can happen, especially when you care a lot about a thing. Motivated reasoning is, you know, you're looking for any sort of reason to, to justify how you feel. And so, Hey, I would love for Josh Eaton to turn the corner and, and to look great. And it does, it does mean something else coming from Brent Venables, um, you know, than it would coming from Lincoln Riley for sure. But I'm, I'm definitely in that you're going to have to show it to me at this point in time. You know, and and I think I, I think there's there's a lot of people who who aren't as high on OU as I am going into this year that could probably counter me and say, well, you're you're just kind of assuming a lot of players at OU are going to kind of turn the corner and be great, and and I would kind of say, actually, no, not really. OU is probably the most experienced team in the Big Twelve coming back this year. They got a lot of dudes who have started a lot of games, played a lot of college football, a lot. 
like more so okay. than pretty much any Big 12 team that a lot of people are projecting out anyway. And that's where I say you're trying way too hard. Trying way, way, way too hard here. Okay, that's fair. I think that's a good rule. That's a good rule to have. And you know what? Now that you mention it, you bring it up, I, yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to put as much stock into that anymore either because, yeah, you're right. It's, we heard it for, for years, and especially when I, I was talking about a, a, a secondary player. <laughs> and, I mean, the jokes we've made since Riley's left, and you know, every year we get excited about the secondary, the corners, the safeties, and then, yeah, they're, it's, yeah. Like, I've already, it's hey, just, I, <laughs> I've already talked myself into kind of like a grouping of, and, I, and I'm just talking about all, all defensive backs here. I've already talked myself into a grouping of, you know, Woody Washington and Kenai Walker and DJ Graham and CJ Colden and Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman um, and Trey Morrison, the, the UNC transfer. I've talked myself into thinking that group as a core can be pretty doggone good as, as like a college secondary. When you start when you start throwing Josh Eaton in there, I'm just like, okay, let's let's pump the brakes a little bit. I would <laughs> love for that to be the case, but it's like I've already pumped up so many other guys in my head that like I'm we're we're, we're stretching the bounds of of what's realistic here. I feel like, but hey, hey, I remember the I remember the ball that Josh Eaton almost picked off against TCU that Quentin Johnson actually what he basically you know calvin johnson them yeah. or what do you call it he just wrestled it from him yeah but that looked really good all the way up into the point where he didn't make the play <laughs> <laughs> yeah which hey i mean that's i how much how much do we see that whereas like oklahoma would look okay like their secondary players would look okay but then they when they had a chance to make a play they they, they didn't they, they wouldn't be able to make it they wouldn't be able to make a a play at the point of attack at the like with the you know with the What's the right word? You know, a 50-50 ball or something like that. It would always be going to the other player. Okay, no, that's, that's a good standard to have. Okay, so you mentioned Baylor earlier. I think you did, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, know if I did. the Big 12. Did you I haven't really thought Maybe about not. Baylor that much. Kind of a, kind of a random. They, they were like, I, I mean, them winning the Big 12 last year was random as hell. Big time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they came out of nowhere. Uh, and honestly, it's, I mean, Dave Aranda's a great coach, but. Their OC, <clears throat> OC Jeff Grimes, I mean, made that offense pretty good. But, uh, yeah, the Bears. Yeah, but, you know, you're also, they also had, you know, for, they had, had by far the best defensive player in the conference. Um, maybe the two best defensive players in the conference. They're, I don't know. Sure, it, but it's they actually, thing. but they had I'm to score kinda, points, though. And, like, their offense was, was pretty, like, a lot better than it should have been. Their offense was good. They they ran the ball really effectively. Gary Bohannon was was a very big liability for them, um, but it only I mean it's college football, so that only mattered in like a handful of games. So yeah, I mean I bring Baylor up obviously because they were picked to finish number one uh, by the the media, and that broke a six year streak of OU being picked to win the conference. So uh, it, if you haven't seen it yet, which I'm sure you have, it's Baylor one, OU two. OSU three, Texas four, K State five, uh, and then the rest. So and you kind of referenced, I mean, a little bit how maybe like o, OU's being a little bit overlooked potentially. I mean, this is an example of it. I mean, at least in the Big Twelve, sure they picked finished second, but Oklahoma has been, I mean, not even penciled in to number one. I mean, they've been in permanent marker number one for more than half a decade. Uh, what does it mean that Oklahoma to you? is not the preseason pick in the for the Big 12. I mean it makes the it makes the upcoming season, you know, a lot more fun, I think. Um 
and you know, hey, like I'm not I'm not the smartest person in the world. Like I, you know, I'm I'm really close to the program, and so there's obviously there's always a risk that I'm I'm looking at everything through you know through crimson colored glasses, and I'm just not seeing it right. Um, but also I I, I kind of feel like you know college football. There's you know. If you pick Ohio State to win the Big Ten, regardless of how many starters they have coming back, you're not really going out on much of a limb there. Um, and you know, I. But anyway, I, I I take it mostly as I think there's a lot of, and I and I get this feeling as well. But there's a lot of wait and see attitude towards this team. Um, and I don't know. I don't necessarily know if I if I buy into the whole. Oh, it's because they just they think you know OU success was all Lincoln Riley. I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I think it, I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of like the continuity. There was this narrative, right, that Lincoln Riley was just a holdover from the Bob Stoops era, and there was no other staff changes when he took over anyway. And so I think a lot of people just thought that that was like a passing of the torch. Whereas now, this actually is kind of like, this is more so of like a wholesale shift in culture and what they're doing, whereas like where Stoops just gave Riley the keys to the car. So I can see now where people are just like, oh, well... This happened, and they also lost a lot of high-profile players. But I, I think I think this is where a lot of people are being blinded by the glitz and glamour of the people that they lost, and not necessarily what is still there. And so I think one of the things that actually came out uh, just this past week that is actually really really useful, and it actually sort of it, it kind of it clarifies everything, it crystallizes everything, and it makes it it, it definitely backs my argument. Is when Bud Elliott from you know from two four seven came out with his annual blue chip ratio rankings and guess who is in the top four in the country in blue chip ratio lee oh you know i'm gonna use some context clues here to guess uh is oklahoma in the top four i they they most certainly are they most certainly okay. are and you know texas texas is close texas is number five on that list and they're close but we have the added benefit of knowing that texas has always been there and they've still sucked for the last 10 years so it is reasonable to suspect <laughs> that that will continue does that make sense to everybody? And like, I'm, I'm saying this to all the people who are projecting Texas to be really good this year. Does that logic make sense? I mean, it does to me. Uh, it, I've said on this podcast a million times, man. That's why I'm not that interested in Texas because they haven't been relevant since Mac Brown left. They get and so all these when great I say, recruits and, so and they when, don't do anything with it. And so when people bring up, oh, but OU lost Caleb Williams and Mario Williams and Kennedy Brooks and they lost the three, the three best players on their defense, on their defensive line. And so when I say, yeah, but they actually still return a majority of the people that took snaps for them, and they add people who were big-time uh, you know, playmakers on their other teams, and they've also started a ton of games in college. And I know that OU has that added history of being really, really good, even when they do lose a lot of people. I, where, where, where am I going wrong there? I feel like I'm the, I'm the only one who's not taking crazy pills. <laughs> and whereas like Baylor like I'm sorry but like I it's it's completely defensible to pick Baylor to win the conference this year it is you you can you like it's it's not as egregious as it would be in past years but Baylor also was picked was picked to finish ninth in the conference last season and they won the freaking conference and so I kind of feel like you're making an you're making an assumption and you're making a leap of faith for Baylor as well and the same goes for Oklahoma State and for sure the same goes for the University of Texas, more so than anybody else. So like I feel yeah, like that. right now it's like I, I understand picking Oklahoma to win the conference this season is boring as hell. It's not it's it's not. It's it's not an interesting conversation. We're not trying to be right here, we're trying to get it right. <laughs> and this is this I'm just saying okay, this isn't that hard. This isn't that hard. 
Yeah. I, by the way, I didn't vote in the poll. Uh, you know, I wasn't getting Big 12 emails all summer long, so I didn't see the Media Days credential email like originally. So uh, I didn't get a preseason ballot. So it's, it's not, you know, it's not my fault that OU is number two. Uh, don't blame me for that. But I think if I would have voted, if I would have had a vote, I'd have gone OU1, OSU2. And then after that, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, I mean, maybe Baylor by default. Maybe Kansas State. Uh, but, I, I mean, I haven't done a deep dive yet into K-State. I know they have a lot of guys on the preseason All-Big 12 team. Uh, and I like Chris Kleiman a lot. But, you know, I, I'm not sure what they're going to be like in the post-Skyler Thompson era. So, But, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with – like. I just don't buy Baylor right now. I mean, I buy their coach. I buy, I buy both their coaches. I buy Aranda and Grimes because, yeah, I'm with you. Like Jerry, Jerry, Gary Bohannon, just, he, to be nice, he struggled to throw, to throw forward passes accurately. Like he's, he's, yeah, you, you said he's a liability. That's probably a, a more precise way to put it. And, you know, hey, but like yeah, I mean, one, of the, one of the points in Baylor's column this year is that, is that Gary Bohannon is gone and Blake Shapin overtook that job. And, hey, he, I am certain that Blake Shapin is better than Gary Bohannon. That, yeah, they have, that they better. have upgraded at that position. I'm certain that that's the case. Yeah, no, that helps. And what Jeff Grimes could do with Bohannon, if Shapin's a better player, then you're going to probably get a lot more out of him. So, I mean, that you're right. Uh, you know, they lost, what, two or three of their top pass catchers, they lost, top receivers? They, they lost all of their skill position players, all of them. They they didn't yeah. they do not return anybody who was a who was a relevant piece for them offensively last year, really at all, except for their offensive line. I mean, two of their best defensive players, Terrell Bernard, Jalen Petrie. I mean, Petrie was awesome. I mean, uh, Petrie is one of the best. Are gone. Petrie is one of the best college defenders I've ever seen. Jalen Petrie is a guy who reminds me a lot of Antoine Winfield Jr., um, who is who I've said is is the best college defensive back I've ever seen. Um, and I, I take take that for what you will, but Jalen Petrie basically made Baylor's defense terrifying by himself. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, offensively, though, Shapin and I believe most of their offensive line, I think, is back. So, I mean, that, that's two pretty good, pretty good pieces to work with, two groups. Uh, but, yeah, this isn't a Baylor podcast. <laughs> I mean, Oklahoma's got more talent. Uh, you got Venables. He's a great coach. We know that. Uh, you know, How is he going to be as a head coach? I mean, like, the only way this can't go well for Oklahoma is if Brent Venables is just an atrocious game day coach. If, if that happens, if that's the case, then – all this positivity and all this optimism, throw it out the window. If somehow this guy who's been an assistant coach forever is just terrible on game day with how he manages things, I don't know, maybe he, like, I, I don't know. I, I, anyways, yeah, like, we'll talk about that when we get there. When we actually have examples of it. Uh, but, I mean, I mentioned Oklahoma State. I, I'd have gone number two with them. I'd pick them number two. Uh, Spencer Sanders is coming back for his fourth year, man. Fourth year as a starter. That's crazy. Uh, I mean, the offense should be pretty good. Um, but aside from the offense, I mean, defensively, uh, the defensive line is going to be really good. They got a lot of talent on the defensive line, a lot of uh, veteran leadership. I just don't know, though, about the back seven. Uh, Jason Taylor is back. But other than that, the linebackers are a question mark. Most of the secondary is a question mark. You got <clears throat> Derek Mason wanting to run the same exact system as Jim Knowles. And they are. I'm I mean, not they're sure doing that's the same, work. same terminology, same everything. I mean, that's super unusual. And Mike Gundy was saying at Media Days that Derek Mason doesn't have an ego. He came in. He said, yeah, I'll, I'll run it. You know, we'll do it. Like, he's cool. He's been a head coach. He's kind of done it all. So maybe they can make it work. But I'm skeptical, man. I've never heard of a coach being like, yeah, I'm going to come in and run what the other guy did. 
I kind of um, just to push back. I, I I kind of I think that's a pretty encouraging sign for Oklahoma State actually, um, because what that actually tells me, and maybe you maybe you, you you totally come down different on it. What that tells me is that Mike Gundy understands that maybe maybe like a, a culture defensively that they built is pretty valuable, and they should they should maybe not try to strip that down, and they should do whatever they can to maintain that, because. Um, I, I, Oklahoma State's defense last season was, was the best defense in the Big 12 that the Big 12 has seen since, like, I don't really want to be hyperbolic, but it's probably since the 2005 Texas National Championship team. I, you know, I don't, it's, it was that, I mean, per SP plus, it was a top four defense whoa, whoa, in college football. What about football. the 09 Sooners, man? What about 09 Oklahoma? <laughs> yeah, that was good, a really right? good defense. I don't know if it was as good as Oklahoma State's last season. Yeah, maybe not. Um, and like, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's a total hats off moment to Mike Gundy and his program there. That's awesome. They did that with hard work. They, they had some bad defenses under Jim Knowles before they were able to achieve that. And so like, I can totally see from his perspective where it's just like, Hey, I I don't really want to throw that away. That, that, that took, that took a lot of hard work to build up. And, um, I totally, I'm, I'm totally opposite with you. I I have a lot of faith in Oklahoma state's defense still being really good this year. And I think their offense is still going to be probably pretty meh to be honest with you. See, I, that's interesting because I don't disagree with you about the, the defense, like the, the mindset, the system. That's fine. More I'm skeptical is he's got to come in and learn a different system that Derek Mason's never been a part of before in his life. He's got to learn it, and then he's got to implement it the same way that Jim Knowles did. Jim Knowles' defense took until about year three or four. I mean, I think last year was year four of Knowles. And they were, and when they were obviously very good in year three, the year before they were pretty good, but Oklahoma had really no problem with it. So, I mean, it took a lot of time for that whole group to really feel comfortable in that defense. And Jim Knowles has been running that defense. I'm assuming his entire career versions of it. So that that my my skepticism is just from simply Derek Mason learning this defense fast and like actually knowing how to call it during the games and it being effective. It's not I. It's a great defense if it's run the right way, right? And you have the right yeah, guys. Yeah, of course. I just Here's where if, I think yeah. it could be different. Maybe, like, you know, of course. Like, I mean, if you're ahead of the program, you're Mike Gundy. You plan these things out. Like, you have, you could ask Mike Gundy at this time, you know, last year, who's like, who, who are you projecting to be like your, your starting 11 on defense in 2022? He could have told you that for sure. They have a plan. And so, like, it makes me wonder if they, if they, you know, in the absence of Jim Knowles, even like even with all of the development they already had, maybe he or he feels really good about who they have on campus running that system, and um and that's that's kind of how that's where you want to be. Like Wisconsin doesn't get a ton of blue chip recruits on defense every single year. They've had a top ten defense for the last ten years. They just it's it's just, it's just a cycle. They continue to do the same thing over and over again, and it's like so and it, and it happens because. People develop in the weight room and they sit and they, they wait and they watch behind people who know exactly what they're doing. And so that when they're called upon to act, they're able to do so. And I think Oklahoma State probably feels like that's something they're able to achieve this year, especially when they bring back objectively one of the best defensive lines in all of college football, not just the Big 12. Um, and so I'm thinking like if you, if, if you have an inexperienced back seven like Oklahoma State's about to have, you can't think of a better scenario than to have the defensive line talent they have probably the most talented defensive line Oklahoma state's ever had. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. I, but also I'm just, we go back. Their offense is probably not going to be very good because Spencer Sanders won 
not that good. He's just he's he's very limited. Um, and they their offensive line a season ago was 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 really below average to the point where you have to question just the talent that they have on it. Um, and, and I just I just don't think it's 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 going to get that much better in, in one season. Um, and Jalen Warren was a huge part of their offense last season. He's gone now. He's gone, and they don't have any. They don't have any obvious receiving targets for Spencer Sanders. Uh, I, their offense is probably going to be a lot like what it has been the last two years. I think. I mean, Brennan Presley is a guy that is going to have to. He's fine. Take off. He's fine. Uh, they're going to get Braden. They're going to get Braden Johnson back, who a couple of years ago he was a pretty good player. I'm sure there's other guys that I, I you know, I'm blanking on right now, but like, the whole I idea think so. Is that you hope a fourth year starting quarterback is going to be good and yeah consistency has always been spencer sanders's issue and it's totally like spencer sanders has shown flashes of of him being really good but also there's there's more flashes of him just being really inconsistent and and him just not having a ton of arm talent either because he doesn't everything that he throws deep downfield floats like pretty pretty bad floats really badly Uh, he's he's small he doesn't have a lot of breakaway speed despite his mobility he's just he kind of is what he is so Oklahoma State is really hoping that he's just he's matured a lot and he can just be kind of a steady veteran presence. Cause no, I mean I I what he threw for like four hundred some odd yards in the Fiesta Bowl against Notre Dame. It, it it's, it's kind I mean, of a, that's his that was his ceiling. That was that's his, I mean, that's his about ceiling as, right That's there. about as good as great. he possibly can be. And I'm telling you, man, when he was throwing the ball downfield, the ball was still floating. It was still floating a lot. Well, they'll. Uh They'll look to the green twins to have production catching passes and also uh, Jaden Bray, I bet, is a guy that they're going to want to take another step this year. I think. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, and you said it, that you would, you, you would have voted Oklahoma State second in that. I'm still, you know, I, I'm not sure between Oklahoma State and Baylor because I, I, I think Baylor does have a, is going to have an edge at the quarterback position between those two teams, and I think their defenses are probably going to wash each other out. Um. But I think if you are prognosticating the Big 12, it's legitimately not particularly reasonable at this point in time, based off what we know and what we've known the last decade, to not have one of those three teams in the top. Oklahoma, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Those should be your top three. And I really think that you are really stretching if you're you're trying to put anyone ahead of those three at this point in time. How about uh, some media members, too, of them had Texas as their number one team, and a random person put Iowa State as the number one. Iowa State was picked to finish sixth. Hmm. I, you know, hey, I, God, I don't know. Should I? Should I go? I mean, I'm. I think Iowa State is going to suck this year, like actually, <laughs> legitimately suck. Um, as of you know, as of right now, was it today, July nineteenth, July twentieth? You're. Iowa State is absolutely the ninth place team in the Big Twelve to me, and it's 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 really I don't really have to think about it that much. I'm just so interested in a post Brock Purdy era. I just don't know what to expect. A lot, a lot of this is coming in. Hunter Decker sucks. He is not a good player. Is that their quarterback? You yes. Think, is that going to be their starting quarterback? That is, if Iowa State is rolling that guy out, they're going to be in a world of hurt. Yikes. Be, uh, Anything, yeah, it's yeah. and and you know I mean and. How it really works, like, the last two seasons, Brees Hall really is their entire offense. Uh, he, he's gone. He's gone. I, this, I would say they don't have a good offensive line. Xavier Hutchinson is a nice player. He's not a number one receiver. Hunter Decker sucks. 
Iowa State's going to suck this year. <laughs> uh, they're they're not going to be good. And like, Any and other honestly, thoughts on- no one has said it. No one has just come out. Everyone is just like, ah, I believe in Matt Campbell, and I really think they're going to surprise and be better than you think. No, they're going to suck. They don't have any good players on their team. Watch this be the year where they like knock off Iowa in the non-conference, and it just it makes me so freaking mad. It's like, oh, you picked this year to beat Iowa. <laughs> Watch it. Uh, yeah, that's that would. I mean, they, that's not going to happen because Iowa, Iowa State, just just like they kind of are every single year, is not going to be able to move the ball on Iowa, but. Yeah, that's the thing. I, this is Iowa State is the easiest team besides Kansas in the in the conference to prognosticate for me. They are they are so clearly at the bottom of the conference that I you know I I actually I, I don't really understand kind of the the thinking around Iowa State for people this year. Well, I have no other thoughts on the preseason poll. Do you have any takes or thoughts on the preseason All Big Twelve team? Uh, we um, mentioned Michael Turk, the only OU player. Which I think, and like this isn't other other podcasts have already talked about this, but it's 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 totally defensible. Um, the the I think the the three players that had the best case to be on the All Big Twelve team for OU, by far the best case was Dylan Gabriel. Like by far, this is this is this is kind of one of my <laughs> examples of trying too hard. Dylan Gabriel is pretty obviously the best completer of forward passes going into this season in the conference. Um, I, that's that we know that's established. That's, that's pretty clear to me. I think you can, it's, it's defensible to say, Oh, Spencer Sanders was the first team guy last year. And so we're going to make him at this year. That's totally defensible. And Dylan Gabriel coming from, you know, the, the group of five, I get it. That's fine. You know, I, I can, um, Marvin Mims, you know, being the other guy there that has a case, but I think the other three guys ahead of him, especially Xavier Worthy and Xavier Hutchinson, probably have a better case on paper than Marvin Mims does. Quentin Johnson and Marvin Mims is the same logic for putting him there. Um, you have to, I think a lot of the logic for not having Mims there was that he just, he was inconsistent, had a lot of his best games, you know, just or a lot of his stats came in a game or two, which is true. Uh, but that describes Quentin Johnson's and his entire career at TCU. So I, I don't, I guess I don't understand how that justifies Quentin Johnson being first team and not Marvin Mims, but still you can make an argument for it. Um, the other guy would be Jalen Redmond on the defensive line, but I, I, I feel like the defensive line group for the Big 12 is actually really, really strong. Um, so I think it's, it's just more of like, a, it's one of those things where it's just like, actually, yeah, like I can, I can justify and I can understand why there's no OU guys on there right now. But it's funny because I think everyone, every OU fan knows that OU is going to have the most guys on there in the postseason. And I think most people who voted on it probably agree with that. Good stuff. Yeah, I don't have any. I think uh, you, you summed it up pretty well. As far as Mims goes, that he, if he's not all Big 12 by the end of the season, that would be shocking. It, he and Dylan Gabriel seem like they're best friends. Marvin Mims, is, um, Marvin Mims is, is, is so, so clearly the most underrated player in the conference coming into the season. Um, and it, it has everything to do with just last season. Last season was a, was a huge disappointment. And... Um, I, you know, until we know more, I, 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 the blame is laid at the feet of the guy who's in Southern California right now. That, that's why he just didn't have a great season. He didn't get a lot of targets. He didn't get a lot of targets last year. I was like, Mims got 41 targets last year, Lee. 32 catches and 41, 41. targets. Uh, that's, obs- that's targets. so stupid. 
uh, yeah. Uh, in 2019, uh, when Jeff Levy was the OC at UCF and Dylan Gabriel was the quarterback, Gabriel Davis had 72 catches and Marion Williams had 51 grabs. So that's just one season. And I could pull up Ole Miss from the last couple of years with Levy. I know they have at least one guy that would have 70, 80 catches. There's going to be a lot of balls thrown to Marvin Mims. The, the thing is, though, Oklahoma has a lot of talent. I mean, Theo Weiss is there. Jaleel, Jaleel Farouk is there. Drake Stoops. Uh, who am I missing? I'm probably missing other people. Uh, so that's the only thing is, like, is Jaleel Farouk, though, going to be like the number one guy? Does he separate himself even from Marvin Mims? I mean, I've heard a lot of good things about him so. this summer. But, like, probably not. We know. I mean, we've seen Mims. We've, like... We've seen Mims, and we know that he's the best receiver on the team. He has been the last two seasons. Um, I think I think Mims having a monster season is is, is kind of one of the bigger slam dunks of the college football season. Uh, that's I mean health health permitting, of course. He's got to stay healthy. But if Marvin Mims starts all twelve regular season games, do you do you actually think he's not going to have a thousand yards and oh, <laughs> a bunch yeah, of touchdowns? Of course he is. That'd be that'd be stunning. Let's see. And that's where that's I, right. I, I think that's why when a lot of OU fans look at that all Big 12 team, they, they just kind of chuckle at it because it's just like. And you're right. I mean, a lot of it is a lot of it is filling in the blanks. A lot of it is assuming. But like I said earlier in the podcast, assuming that OU players are going to reach that height is a lot more reasonable than the alternative in the conference. Way, 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 way more. All right. You mentioned that uh, last episode, all the way back at the end of April, we were talking about the running backs in the spring game, and you said, hey, I want to see Oklahoma go into the portal. they got to bring somebody else in. And Brent Venables did. They brought in UCF transfer Bentavious Thompson last month. So they get a new running back. Uh, he's connected to Dylan Gabriel. Gabriel at Media Day said that he loves the guy to death, and he also described Thompson as a downhill runner. And I was looking back at the numbers of Bentavious Thompson, and in 2019, when it was Gabriel Thompson on the roster and Jeff Levy, those three there, uh, they were all still at UCF. Thompson was one of three running backs on UCF that had over 600 yards rushing, and Thompson averaged almost seven yards per carry and scored a team-leading eight rushing touchdowns. And I watched some brief highlights of him from 2019 and 2020. I can't tell if he's like a burner if i had to guess i'd say he's not really gonna run away from anybody but i mean he's not slow i mean so and he was really productive the last time he played with dylan gabriel and the last time uh and jeff Lebby was the offensive coordinator so i think he's a guy that'll come in and and i wouldn't be surprised if he's gonna be pushing for playing time right away so uh, they they got a guy out of the out of the portal. Have you done any research on Bentavious Thompson? Yeah, I mean had uh, had really good numbers a couple of years ago. Um, didn't didn't play as much last season. I'm assuming he just he probably he probably left. I guess after a few games last year. I think was the story. I, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, but yeah, really good numbers a couple of years ago. I have watched his highlight tape, and you know, I mean, he he kind of looks like just kind of generic spread running back. To be totally honest with you. Uh, that you see yeah. in a lot of places, um, like and so that means ultra, ultra, ultra poor man's like Ramondre Stevenson, like and I, and like let me emphasize ultra, please. <laughs> um, that's kind of what he looks like when he runs, but <clears throat> looks better than Marcus Major. 
God. Just going to already start with the. Do you think? Do you, you think know, Marcus Major would have would have ran for six hundred yards, eight touchdowns at seven yards per carry at, in twenty twenty at UCF? Know. Well, I mean, I'm, so, I'm sorry. It's first. bad. I I'm like one. Of, I I feel actually really like I I would love to be totally wrong about Marcus Major. I really really would, but. I don't know. Sometimes you just kind of. I was watching. Um, I was watching highlights for whatever reason. Lee, I've been rewatching highlights from the 2013 and 2014 seasons over the last couple weeks. Mostly the 2014 season. Um, and you know, I just kind of. It's. I totally lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? What were we talking about? The the team wasn't very good. I'm gonna, gonna guess you're getting at. <laughs> that is true. I was I, I was rewatching 2014 because I wanted to. I wanted to. 2014 was the worst OU team before the 21 team. That like the the 2021 team is, is the worst OU team in my lifetime. And so like just I wanted to go in back your lifetime. Yes, really. Yes, that is the worst OU team I have seen in my lifetime. The 2005 OU team would have beat the living tar. Out of the 2021 team, like would have would have physically manhandled them, and the same goes for the 2009 team. Okay, and well. so I don't know. I've, but I was I, I I was gonna I was gonna bring up some sort of player that I totally forgot who it was. Don't just yeah, don't do crack, we'll kids. You start yeah, you lose your train of thought. <laughs> Uh, you, I think you mentioned C.J. Colden at the start of the show. Uh, I know the last time we were doing podcasts, you were kind of curious about his whereabouts and why nobody was talking about him. He wasn't on campus in the spring. Well, it's been confirmed. He's on campus now. So your boy C.J. Colden is on the roster, and he'll be pushing for playing time. We, we'll see. I mean, he's behind, but we'll see. I know you like him a lot. I don't know much about him. I like his size, and I mean, he's an experienced player at Wyoming. I don't have any thoughts on him, but uh, I'll give you this chance to give any more thoughts on Colden if you have any. So I like CJ Colden because he's he comes he's experienced first of all. He's a guy who has played a lot of snaps in the secondary. But he comes from a program in Wyoming that is built on defense and a defensive culture. And last season, he led Wyoming in defensive snaps. So that tells me that Wyoming thought that he was probably the most defensive player, the most important defensive player that they had. Um and yeah, I'll I'll take the most defensive player on a good defensive team, a, a good defensive group of 5 team any day of the week please send those all of those people my way any day now i'm kind of confused you say wyoming is built off of a defensive culture uh, didn't josh allen go there i mean he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl I, we're not offensive we're not me. we're not we're not we're not doing that we're not gonna <laughs> we're, we're not doing i'm just this. confused i'm just trying to get to the story that you know trying to get to the the meat of the story here i just I'm not sure if you're right about wyoming being a defensive minded program you know i just the offensive juggernaut and Josh Allen. You totally derailed Cop. this conversation. It's over. <laughs> just stared at, steered it right into the ditch. Just we're just driving along the highway, and you see, <laughs> Lee, when I talk about Wyoming and them being a defensive culture, that was also true when this when this other guy who I don't even know who you're talking about. This other guy you mentioned, he's, he probably hasn't gone on to be famous or anything at all. That was also <laughs> the case when he was there too, and. Mm. I don't know. It's okay. it's possible that that culture contributed to the way that he looked in terms of completing forward passes while he competed for that university. Uh, this unnamed quarterback, yeah, go on. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. yeah, that's 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 why I'm excited about C.J. Colton. Um, and he's he's also I, I read some stuff like kind of like some Wyoming beat stuff during you know from from the season 
where the coaching staff said like paid lip service how important he was he was kind of banged up they needed to get him back etc etc um and he's all he's got length he's got experience he's he's a guy who has who has had success playing man-to-man coverage and covering dudes at the collegiate level so i'm excited for him after what we watched last season (laughs) yeah so i put a prompt on facebook the west of evers facebook page earlier today asking for any thoughts comments questions anything uh as i announced that we are back with the podcast and a few of you were able to uh to see it and commented so we thank you i'll get to some of those right now we'll start with alan on facebook and we may have already answered part of this prompt alan throughout the podcast if you've been listening the entire time but alan says lots of people are down in the sooners this year when you look at the coaching changes and the loss of talent you can at least understand their reasoning but a lot of OU fans and local media think Oklahoma will be better than last year and can make the four-team playoff. Who is right and why? Good question. I mean, I mean, most of the podcasts we've essentially answered that. I suppose those that cover the team closely, local media, we're, we're closer to right than the other side. Uh, I'm not going to go as far to say Oklahoma can make the playoff at this point. I don't know that yet. Just because as much as I'm – you know, into the Brent Venables higher, there still is, it's still a change. And I get that. And I suppose Riley, I mean, they missed the playoff last year. Uh, I mean, they missed the last two years, I guess. They missed the playoff. So, I mean, they haven't been there in the last couple of years. Uh, so, I guess you could probably make an argument that they're maybe better. Oklahoma's even better suited now, especially considering the Big 12. Uh, you know, like you mentioned the lack of quarterbacks returning. And then there's Spencer Sanders. But outside of that, you know, Dylan Gabriel, it's pretty can, experienced. You know, so, yeah. Like if you take if you take this you know this year you go for a year from now you know like in, in the past you know I obviously felt better about OU last year at this time than I do right now we we thought that they were legitimately going to compete to win the national yeah. championship um for good reason for good reason for for very good reason like we we want to as much as we want to talk about how OU got a little bit worse every year under Riley which is kind of technically worse still. Per SP plus, per analytics, per play-by-play numbers, the best team that Riley had at OU was that 2020 team. Um, and by the end of the season, that is what we were basing a lot of the 2021 predictions on. Where because they got they they took their lumps at the beginning of the year, they got better, and for the first time in Riley's tenure, they were actually dominant. They were they, they were they were kicking the crap out of teams. Um, and we thought, okay, they finally turned the corner. And I think it was reasonable for us to to come to that conclusion. Um, fast forward to now, of course, a really, really disappointing season. Where we are right now, though, compared to where the OU was throughout for what we now know what the 2021 OU, OU team was like, I'm extremely confident in saying that OU is in a better position right now than, the, than where they were in October of 2021. No doubt in my mind is that the case. OU was a, like, in terms of their actual, how well they were actually playing, Last year, oh, he was a fringe top twenty-five team last season. They were lucky as hell to get out of some of those wins or some some of those games with wins. Lucky as hell. And it, I should have probably it, lost think, to Kansas. Yeah, I mean the Kansas. Kansas is the perfect example. And I, you know, I think there's there's definitely a school of thought that would say, yeah, they were lucky to go eleven and two last season, so they're going to take a huge step back this year. I, you know, everyone who was close to the program and saw everything that went down last year knows that last year was really weird and that something was off the entire time. 
And I think everybody feels like OU is able to pull out those close games literally just because of the natural talent that they had on their roster and not because of any preparation or any sort of thing that they deserved. They were just, they were just good enough naturally to do it. Um, whereas now we feel like they still have a lot of those built-in advantages with the talent on the roster. And honestly, I think there's a coaching staff now that cares a lot more about the little things that the other coaching staff didn't necessarily care about. And I think that's really going to pay dividends, especially for as experienced of a group as this is. And this is the thing that drives me insane because this is not that hard to do your research on. OU, coming into this season, is an extremely experienced team. I understand that they lost their true freshman quarterback and their true freshman receiver and Kennedy Brooks, who was a really good player, and they lost three really good players off their defensive line. They bring back literally everyone else. Everyone else on the team is back. And like, I, I, I just, it's not that hard, guys. Like, do, do some research. You know who I keep forgetting is there? And, I mean, I shouldn't, because obviously in the spring, it was, we were all around OU football, so I was thinking OU football all the time and would never forget it. But, I mean, time has gone on. We haven't done the podcast, so I haven't thought much about it. A uh, guy that, you know, at spring, uh, I keep saying spring. It's probably because the last time we did a podcast, it was the spring. Uh, at media days and when people were talking about OU and, and you know, running backs and whatnot, I, Eric Gray's still there. Eric Gray, <laughs> a guy that we were super excited about going into last season, has a ton of talent, and super smart guy, super excited. And, yeah, you mentioned Kennedy Brooks is gone, but I, I kind of want to see what Eric Gray looks like Actually, in this new um, offense, second year in the program. Yeah, I was wondering if we were going to get to that. I, I, th- I think the running back room is, is by far their biggest question mark coming into the season. Um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not convinced on that. I'm, I'm not convinced they have a dynamic threat at all in the backfield. Um, you know, I, we, we hear the talk about Eric Gray, right? We heard it a ton last year, and we're, here, we're still hearing it from this new staff too. Um, so, I, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe this system is going to be better suited for his abilities. But, yeah, Eric Gray just kind of looked like a fish out of water at a lot of times last year. It looked like he just didn't fit the offense. It looked like they didn't really know what to do with him a lot of the time. And he's a guy, right, after we watched Tennessee highlights, we were like, oh, this guy's electric. This guy can make you, uh, can make you miss in a phone booth. And, you know, I, I think we maybe saw some very slight flashes of that last year, but not enough to the point where I'm just like, yeah, I'm really sure that he's going to be a big-time player for them. And he's so small. He's so little that, you know, and, and I don't know. And, and I think at this point in time, you're I – th- I think the guy who's pretty clearly behind him right now is Javante Barnes. He's a true freshman, and I, I, I never rely on true freshmen. Whenever you're, whenever you're going to rely on someone like Javante Barnes at the running back role – as the guy who's going to get the second most amount of carries, I don't like that. That's and he's he's a guy. I went back and, and listened again to our podcast after the spring, and I you know my thoughts on Javante Barnes still remain the same. It's like yeah, I'm excited for the guy, but he didn't do anything in the spring game that should get anybody excited. Well, you know, you know, the last time Oklahoma was really hoping a freshman quarter or running back would do stuff. Remember what hap- happened when that happened? 2018, <clears throat> Kennedy Brooks uh, called that. No, 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 no. He, I mean, you you are. You are thinking of it totally differently. Kennedy Brooks didn't even come in, come into the picture until halfway through the year. Well, yeah, we had to I mean, sit here and talk getting, about. Remember, we had that whole thing where like he 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 ripped off some like pretty good runs against in that Texas game, and then he didn't touch the ball again at all. And we had like an entire segment about why why didn't he touch the ball more. And so I mean, well, it wasn't I mean, as open and shut, but like in retrospect, right? It's it's like you know he's he's one of the best running backs in the history of the program, and so yeah, he 
<laughs> he should, probably should have been the main guy from from the get go that season. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Trey Sermon was there. I, I, I'm just in terms of a, a freshman actually getting carries, and you can kind of rely on him. And if there's you could rely on Kennedy Brooks. If there's one position where you can put a freshman in, you don't really have to worry that much. It'd be running back for sure. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still in this whole idea where I, I want OU's offense to buy, or I, I want them to be dynamic. I want them to be explosive, which means you, you want your, you want your, your running back to be a home run hitter. And Rodney Anderson was that for sure. I don't have they, I don't think they've had one since him. Um, and uh, Ramondre, well, Stevenson, Ramondre, was, yeah. but it's just like I always Ramondre just played so briefly. He had such a brief career here. Oh, which is too bad. Uh, but <laughs> which is too too bad. God, that's it's so terrible. I mean, they would have. I mean, if Ramondre would have played every game in 2020, they would have gone undefeated in the regular season and been in the playoff for sure. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good chance. Uh, it's going to be a, a huge, a huge, um, just black mark against Lincoln Riley. If which we expect this to happen for Marvin Mims. If Marvin Mims comes out has a great season, uh, that's going to be a huge black mark. And also, if Eric Gray comes out and looks like the Eric Gray. F- Basically, we saw on those Tennessee highlight tapes where he you look at the Tennessee stats. He had good numbers. He had really good numbers at Tennessee and a bad offense. So if Eric Gray is able to look more like that, it's going to you're going to think what's Lincoln Riley just had to have just mailed in. And hey, you know, Eric Gray looked did look a lot more useful in the Alamo Bowl. He definitely did. Sure did. And so I and I hope they I, I, I hope they you know, they're they're really hammering that home. But. We'll see. I don't know. It's fun. Like, I mean, you bring up Marvin Mims as a black mark, maybe on Lincoln Riley and, and Eric Gray as well. You can you can throw Theo Weiss in there as well. You can throw Braden Willis in there for sure. There's, you know, I. It's going to be a really interesting season. I I, I think there's, I, I do think there are guys who are capable of producing and being big time players for OU that maybe kind of got lost in the system a little bit. And when I say that, like, you know, I'm trying to be careful because I'm trying to be mindful of who they've had in the past, like big time guys have had in the past. But we've even said it on this podcast about how in 2019 they didn't throw CD Lamb the ball enough. And like I'm, you know, going back on it, it's just like you could probably find areas where they didn't give Hollywood Brown the ball enough, where they didn't throw Mark Andrews the ball enough. Um, And I, I, I really do think that was a blind spot for Lincoln Riley. Because, I mean, there were times where you could easily, when he was the coach, right, you could easily justify not even throwing a forward pass. Give it to Rodney Anderson every single time or Samaj P. Ryan or Joe Mixon every single time. And OU's offense would still be great, but he would still kind of go away from stuff that was working. And um, yep. I, kind of wish, I kind of wish in his tenure here he would have had more of like a Wisconsin attitude towards things, which is like, oh, this may be simple and kind of simplistic, but it's working. We're going to beat them into submission with it. All right, more Facebook questions. We have one from Philip. Thanks for writing, Philip. Appreciate it. I know he's one of the longtime listeners here from West uh, at West. One of the longtime listeners of West of Everest. Jeez, uh, tough talking today. Philip says, in your opinion, what will be the biggest improvement we see this next season? And also, what do you think will be the biggest setback that will need improvement? So I'll start, and I hope this is correct. I hope the defensive players just look like smarter football players. Like I, I, I want to see guys anticipating throws in the secondary. I want to see defensive ends that are tasked with setting the edge to actually set the edge and not let guys get outside of them, break contain. 
Same with outside backers. Force those guys inside to make uh, help help your teammates make tackles. Like I, I hope we don't see situations like the Kansas game last year when an offense just runs the same play. In that case, it was split zone, just over and over and over again. And the players don't seem to even think or to know it's coming, don't realize it's coming, and don't know how to stop it. And even the coaches don't seem to know what's going on and don't know how to you know make a call to stop that either. So. I'm hoping that Brent Venables, who, again, is perhaps the best defensive coordinator in college football, with him leading this program, that Oklahoma's defensive players are just more football savvy moving forward, like more fundamentally sound, I think, is going to be a given. And in turn, opposing offenses are, are not gifted yards like they were here and there for the last few years in Alex Grinch's system. Like I, and not just the defense, I think the entire team is going to be more prepared for games. Like I, I always talk about Kansas. It's like, it's my hobby horse at this point, but I think it's a really important game to point out over and over and over again. Like I don't envision games like Kansas last year where Oklahoma shows up to a game on Saturday and looks disinterested and almost loses to one of the worst programs of the last two or three decades in college football. I, I, I don't envision that happening again. And I'd kind of would I'd love to ask some Clemson fans if there was any games in the last decade or so when it looked like the Clemson defense showed up on a Saturday and looked disinterested. Like they weren't prepared, like they weren't like they weren't playing like they, they're like, "Eh, we're going to show up, we're going to win, doesn't matter." Like even when they were playing like the Citadel or Georgia Tech or insert some crappy ACC team. Like I'd be curious if Clemson fans have any examples of, man, Britt Venables' defense against uh, Virginia that game looked like they just didn't care and they got smoked I don't know I mean maybe it exists but I kind of doubt it just knowing how Brent Venables is that doesn't exist like and I, I hate to hammer like the analytical stuff too hard but like Clemson has had like a top five defense per SP plus like every year for the last like seven or eight years if you're that good on defense there's no such thing as you taking days off that means if you're if you're that good on defense and those analytics, that means when you go up against someone who is less talented than you, you are strangling them at mm-hmm. pretty much every opportunity. And so, I but yeah, you know, I I, I share a lot of what you say there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess yeah, to explicitly answer the question, what like what's going to improve? I think one urgency. I think just a general a general sense of urgency around the team. And the other two thing, which you, which you know, you you definitely touched on, is just situational awareness. Situational awareness, I think, is, is can be big because I, I I said it wasn't even just last year either. I said I said in the years leading up to this as well. OU under Lincoln Riley was situationally terrible. They they were just they were situationally unaware so many times, where it's just like they didn't realize that they were in a where they were in a high leverage situation that needed that needed some sort of special special sauce of some kind. That was a, a huge problem under Lincoln Riley. And hell, man, like you listen to some of the players talking now and they talk about how much this new defensive coaching staff has like has emphasized situations and being smart and like knowing where you're supposed to like like a lot of the defensive players have emphasized that as a huge change. And so it really does beg the question of whether or not that they were doing that at all under the last defensive staff. I think or it was, whether, it, it or whether that they were just on- like it was exclusively on defense, right? Is that what, is that your point? Because I think offensively yeah. they're they're really good situationally for the most part, but defensively, I think we, okay. I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, I meant I I meant defensively. Yes, thank you. Um, 
and so, yeah, I just, and I, hey, man, I, I could push back and say situationally in short yardage situations on offense, they've sucked. They haven't been very good. But, um, which is where, I mean, when you have the talent that OU has, like 90% of the teams you play, you should just be able to run just power right up the middle and pick up a short yardage situation. That's, that's, that's just a fact. I know it's boring. That sucks. And a lot of people don't like, it's not fun to talk about, but we're trying to win football games. Like, it's just, that's, that's what Brent, he's like, he understands, he understands he's got the built-in talent advantage. You have to have like, you have to have the, the stuff in place to leverage that advantage so you can punch people in the face. <laughs> and yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and also, so I, yeah, I, I really want to see urgency, situational awareness, because I think, I think we can take from what players have said in this off season, that that was just not an emphasis of the last coaching staff, which if that's the case, it makes me kind of throw my arms up and be like, why are you coaching defense then? What else are you coaching on defense? If it's not situational awareness, speed, speed, it's gonna be fast, man. Speed D, you know, it's you're fast. It takes care of everything else, apparently. And man, I again, I really like Alex Grinch, but man, I I hate his scheme. <laughs> I, I hated his scheme. I came, yeah, it worked like better than Mike Stoops. It worked better than Mike Stoops. Whatever he was doing at the last few years, don't get me wrong, it worked better than that. But I ultimately, though, I I hated that scheme. Sorry, go ahead. But they were two schemes. They were two schemes. Both of the schemes, the end effect was that it made a lot of the players on the defense look like they had no idea what the hell they were doing. <laughs> and, like, that was the end effect. We can say, like, Alex Grinch's, like, his, his end result and his numbers were a lot better than those last couple years under, last few years under Mike Stoops. And, like, we've acknowledged numerous times that, that Alex Grinch did come in and he did change things around from where they were under Mike Stoops. But yeah, man, at the end of last season, that defense was driving me insane. God. They did the same thing over and over again, and they expected different results. And again, I, I brought it up. I think it was, I can't remember the exact games, but there was that period in the middle of the year. I think there was a four-game stretch where statistically those four games were worse than anything we saw in 2018 in the Mike Stoops, Ruffin McNeil defense. And it defense. was worse because they were playing worse teams. Oh gosh, they were. They were playing like I, the the Big Twelve of two thousand and eighteen was significantly better than the Big Twelve of two thousand and twenty one. Do you know how I know that? Because Oklahoma State and Baylor were in the freaking Big Twelve championship game. <laughs> Tells you how strong the conference was. <laughs> and Philip also asked, "What do you think will be the biggest setback that will need improvement?" And I think the easy answer for this is the offense, just because. It's unknown a lot. Uh, Jeff Lebby's new, and we're used to Lincoln Riley's system. And I know even when it was not great at times, which you know last year that happened a lot more than we were used to, at least from my perspective, I was always kind of convinced and pretty sure that they were going to figure something out. Uh, maybe other people didn't feel that way, but I kind of just always thought they were going to figure something out, especially because uh, after Caleb Williams came in, I just thought he was so talented that he'll make a play. I mean, he did it against Texas a handful of times. And so, again, yeah, I don't know much about Jeff Lebby yet. I know he's got a really good resume. Let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can do developing quarterbacks. Uh, he's already worked with Dale, Dylan Gabriel before, so there's that rapport. So that, that'll help, you know, in year one. Uh, but then he looks at the future. Like, uh, developing quarterbacks are going to be a huge thing for him. I mean, I think as much as we want to bag on Lincoln Riley now from the way he left and everything, I mean, Lincoln Riley was a really good quarterbacks coach, and he probably still is. So, I mean, we, I don't think we believe Nick Evers is going to be much. Sorry, Nick. We'll see just based on the spring game. Are we not? And the fact that Jackson Arnold's going to be here next year as a now a five-star, I mean, that's kind of the guy we're looking towards. And who knows? I mean, maybe Dylan Gabriel. Maybe he ends up 
playing this year. Maybe he plays next year. I, I don't know what he's thinking for his future. I remember hearing that maybe he and again, I don't I can't confirm this, but I could have swore I heard something like eh, he, he thinks he might be able to here for one year at Oklahoma and then try to go to the NFL. But I mean, I don't know. So maybe he'll be here for two years. And so I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I think to answer your question, Philip, I mean, for me, at least uh, setback. I mean, OU's offense has been so good under Lincoln Riley. Last year was his worst offense. Uh, and Jeff like by Lebby, far, his, like and, by and, far, and, and Jeff Lebby's had better offenses statistically the last two years than Lincoln Riley has. So like, I think you kind of have to. I think you kind of you kind of have to qualify Phillips' question a little bit because what like the chances that OU's offense this upcoming season are better than last year's I think are really high, like really high. Hopefully, it's more consistent. I mean, there were games where OU's offense just disappeared. Iowa State, a lot of Kansas, uh, Baylor just disappeared i mean there was there there were times where they're often like even in games that they won well they didn't win many games handily hey, but, west virginia um, west virginia tulane 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 yeah. uh with two different quarterbacks so uh, and and yeah. i think like it's i really do think it's worth mentioning <laughs> that three of the five main starters on the offensive line this season and last season as well. So a, a, a season where you and I both agree that at the end of the year, they were definitely one of the four best teams in college football. We're talking about the 2020 season. The offensive line in the 2019, 2020, and 2021 seasons, in terms of the core, all pretty much the same. All pretty much the same. I mean, like, there's, like, that's, that's the part that I think is the most concerning is like when you like I think that's the thing that you can circle the most and say like this is very obviously the the part of the program that really deteriorated under Lincoln Riley. 2018 they win the Joe Moore award. 2019 they have another really good offense with Jalen Hurts, Kennedy Brooks, Ramondre Stevenson all of that stuff. But when they go up against the Baylors of the world that have James Lynch and Bravian Roy all of that stuff, they go up against LSU and the Peach Bowl, they just get absolutely freaking worked on the offensive line in the trenches. They just, they can't keep up. And a lot of, I mean, some of those, um, I guess not a lot of those guys, except for Creed Humphrey were on the, the Joe Moore award winning team. But that 2019 offensive line outside of playing Baylor and LSU was still really good. They still, they still averaged like over six yards a carry still ran for a lot of yards. They brought back pretty much everybody on that 2020 team. And remember Lee without Ramondre Stevens, they couldn't run the ball freaking at all. That's, couldn't get a push. Couldn't do anything. And I, you know, they brought back a lot of guys from 2020 onto that 2021 team, and they had more talent in the backfield that we thought going into that year, and they still struggled to get push on the offensive line. And so, yeah. I, 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 what's what's the deal there? Like, I mean, I think like they should have gotten better. These are guys who got drafted. Marquise Hayes got drafted, man. Like we like Creed Humphrey is the best center literally in the NFL, and he was just kind of okay his last year at OU. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I mean, it was always kind of like if he would have left a year earlier, Creed was like, oh, lock first round pick. And then you talk to people that know about offensive line play. It's like his play deteriorated at OU. And then he goes into his first year in the NFL. And he's yeah, he's like one of the best, not just one of the best rookie centers. He's like one of the best centers in the league. Because like so that makes like, what that it means. Can't, it can't just be all Benny Wiley. It can't be. It can't be. Like you tell me that Creed Humphrey went from being the best center in college football to just being okay his last year at OU to then just five months later being the the best center in the NFL just because he wasn't with Benny Wiley anymore? 
No, I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of stuff that interconnects there. Has to be. Another thing with the offensive line that I, I talked to in the last, since the offseason, there's a, a, at least, I don't know how widespread this is, but there's a belief out there when talking about the, the OU offensive line over the last year or two that it's like, it just hasn't been that good. And it's, you know, th- that's a reason why, you know, Spencer Rattler got sacked a lot and, like the pass, like the pass protection wasn't good, and like again, like that—that's not what I've seen. That's totally out. To, that's out to lunch. Yeah. It's they haven't been able to run the ball. Like pass protection wise, it's been fine. I mean, it, from I don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, with the exception of the West Virginia game, pass protection wise, they're they're still very much up in the elite levels of college football. And this is this is when I say like a lot of the time, like I pushed back a lot during the season last year too about like how. And this is me probably just with semantics and stuff, like when people call OU's offensive line bad. As someone who graduated from the University of Minnesota and understands what bad offensive line play looks like, <laughs> OU's offensive line over the last three years has never at any point in time been bad. It's, it's at worst been one of the 25 best in college football. At worst. Yeah. <laughs> so like we need to like, let's, let's pump the brakes like a little bit. But, of course, we're coming from a different angle where we're trying to win national championships. We're trying to win at a high level. And to win at a consistently high level like that, you, you do need those really, really high-performing offensive lines that are week in and week out. And you can't have like just those, those, odd, those odd times where they just get, they just get uh, everything pushed yeah. in. They, just, they can't get any sort of... And a lot of that comes in in, in, in short-yarded situations. And so... I. I don't know. That's where it comes back into the situational stuff and just and just the urgency and the edge of the program. And I think all of that stuff is is connected. And I think um, I don't know. I, I think when your when your program is having troubles, is having issues, and the offensive line is probably where you're going to first start to see those issues um, show themselves because that's probably the most complicated position group on the entire team. All right, we have one more Facebook question. We got a question from Ben. Thanks for the question, Ben. He says. Uh, you guys should talk about realignment. Does the USC move get Oklahoma's move to the SEC sped up? So we'll use Ben's prompt, his question, to uh, we can talk about the whole USC-UCLA uh, news that's come up in the last month or two. Uh, I, I'll, do you want to take this first? I mean, I got some thoughts on it. I, I can go ahead if, if you'd like. Uh, I, mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can kick it off. Like, I, I guess it just all has we've sort of missed the boat where people are just kind of talking about, I guess how they feel about it. Um, but I mean, I, I don't love it. I, I would prefer, I, I prefer this thing to stay as regional as possible. Um, but there's absolutely a part of me that's like, ah, oh, that's kind of fun. That's pretty fun for sure. Um, and as, it makes me kind of curious as to what, as how everything else is going to shake out. Um, but for, co- I don't think it's good for college football. No, I, I, it's, I think it's going to make for for a better TV product, probably. But I don't know. I, I I think it probably chips away at kind of the spirit of the sport a little bit. Well, what do you think uh, to answer to answer Ben's question? Do you think it's going to speed up Oklahoma and Texas going to the SEC? Could it could? Um, that's one. I don't know. I don't know. Like I was I I was pretty um, I was pretty forceful last summer after this thing happened that I was I was sure that last season was going to be the last yeah, for you right? in the Big Twelve. That's obviously not the case, um, and so at this point in time, I like. What else can we do other than just believe them when they say that it's that's lasting to twenty twenty five? I could easily see. I could easily see 
because USC and UCLA are entering the Big Ten in 2024. So I could see maybe that that creates a little more urgency on OU's part, or maybe the Big 12's part to maybe renegotiate some sort of TV contract, or the SEC's, uh, but they're not going to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it could. I come from where I come from on this perspective is I don't really care. I, I, I like the idea of OU playing in this new Big 12. It sounds fun. And if the, if OU's got to play two years in this new or three seasons in this new Big 12 or two seasons in this new Big 12, I'm okay with that because that sounds like a lot of fun. And I'm not I'm not in a hurry to make to make the football schedule way harder every single season. Does that make sense? Even though I think it's going to be really fun and a good move for the future, I'm not in a rush for it anymore. Yeah, it's it's and we've talked about this before i'm i'm kind of with you like selfishly i kind of think or kind of hope that oklahoma does wait until 2025 i guess i I mean they're a package deal with texas uh you'd think um just because of all the recent change they've gone through but we're so positive now about brent venables and everything it's almost like and we've we've said it before i mean this change actually is is for the future it's better like going into the sec with brent venables as head coach right now sounds a lot better than going in with lincoln riley so like, I don't know if OU's going to have the final say on it. I mean, again, I think them in Texas are probably a package deal. And I bet if you ask Sark right now, I bet Sark would say, I don't want to go to the SEC early if I, if I don't have to. You give him truth serum. I mean, like, they're, they're trying to be competitive at Texas. They can't even be competitive in the Big 12. So I think for both OU and, o, and Texas together, again, truth serum, I, I bet they would prefer to be in the Big 12 until, until the contract ends. And I'm with you. Like, seeing them next year, with these new teams coming in with a, a expanded Big 12, yeah, that sounds fun. Like, who, who are they going to play? Like, who are they going to play on the road? Like, uh, that's yeah. yeah. And I'm and if, if you're talking about more about like the immediate future, like, yeah, if OU's first year in the SEC is 2023, I don't want any, I don't want any part of that because now, like, we're talking about this year how like a lot of people are sort of underrating OU because they actually do have a lot of experience, a lot of people coming back next year. That's probably not going to be. They're they're probably going to be replacing a lot of people next year. So like I, I don't I don't really want that to be their first year and and like they're probably going to have a true freshman quarterback starting for them. I don't want that to be their first year in the SEC. That that just doesn't sound like a good time. See, but here's the thing though. I think to to answer your question, Ben, I do think USC and UCLA moving or going to the Big Ten, it probably does speed up the process. And here's why. So I was looking into this stuff. Like TV contracts are the the most important thing now. I mean, you heard uh, Brett Yormark, the new Big Twelve commissioner. Like Big Twelve's open for business. He he said his main goal is to make sure the Big 12 is in the best position possible once they start negotiating for the next media rights deal. Like, that's the most important thing. And so that tells me that these TV networks have a lot of power. And ESPN, they've already, you know, they, they've already gotten the full SEC rights starting in 2024. Like, so can ESPN... Can they go to the SEC? Can they go to Greg Sankey and be like, hey, Greg, like whoever the, the head of the ESPN is and say, listen, like when we get all your games, like they get the, the mid-afternoon CBS that's on CBS now, they're going to have it on ESPN in, in 2024. Can ESPN go to Greg Sankey and say, hey, uh, we want OU in Texas to be in the conference whenever all the SEC games are starting on ESPN in 2024. Make it happen. Like, I don't know if that's possible. It's a hypothetical, but how how important and powerful the the networks are the fact that usc and ucl are going to well, go to I the think, big 10 like it kind of makes me think that it's possible that in 2024 might be the year i mean from what i understand though i mean the biggest 
the biggest hang up in OU and Texas leaving now is just that exit fee, which is well, a lot of money. The thing is, like, what if ESPN's like, listen, we'll eat it? Like, we want sure, like, to have a, f- sure. a full SEC. That sounds sure. Yeah, I mean, that's and I, and I think we we were kind of talking about those hypotheticals last summer too. And sure, yeah, if that's if that's something that happens in the business world, I don't know if it does or not. I don't know if that's a thing that can happen. Either. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure like giant billion dollar television deals have to be approved by the fec too like or the i'm sorry the fc like the fcc or whatever like that regulates tv and stuff like that too like they can't just you know i mean you have to i don't know about so that. I, I don't know if it's just as easy as like espn going like hand in ou in texas each 80 million dollars and being like hey well by go, that time play. that that time though it'd be just one year that they're buying out of right so it'd, it'd be the cheapest they could get it compared yeah to if you're talking about year. just 2024 but yeah, i'm not, I'm not yeah I'm not i mean i think 2024 yeah and so yes like this this all does it make does them going to the big 10 one year earlier like for sure for certain does that speed up the timeline like yeah it's plausible but i guess we just don't know because we don't because as layman people we, we we don't know what the actual holdup is right now other than that's just what the contract says so i don't know but yeah my 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 final thought is I'm I'm actually I'm not in any sort of hurry to get to the SEC at all. Not like not whatsoever. I, I'm I'm pretty comfortable and confident with what Brent Venables is doing right now. I'd kinda like to see this work in the Big Twelve first before they take it on the road. Um that's that's just my personal preference. But of course, you know, I mean I'll if they if they announce like mid 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 season that they're going to the SEC for the upcoming year for the next season, of course I'll be all in. I'll be excited. But this is so unique about I don't know. this, like because the Big Twelve is adding those four new teams next year. They got Cincinnati, BYU, uh, UCF, and I was. Yeah, I'm one trying. Of them. I'm trying to go to Provo. <laughs> I'm trying to go to Provo. Like I really really want to go on that road trip. So. Who's the? Let's, I always uh, forget, let's, let's stay I around always long enough. To, you're, big, you're forgetting Houston, I believe. Houston, seriously, I was doing this all last week when I was doing reports. Like, I could always name off three of the four, and I, could, I would always forget one of them. I would always start. So, it, what I was going to say is, with with twelve new team or with four new teams, like in theory, next year when that schedule comes out, OU's not going to play all four of the new teams. Like, probably not. So then they play next year. They play maybe two of them. Then it'd be cool if they in the in the conference in 2024 play the other two, and you got. And then you go to the SEC, and there's a whole other brand new schedule. And like for the first time in like forever, you got multiple years where like the schedule is gonna just be gonna be different. And that's one of my biggest hangups in college football, man. It's you play the same teams over and over and over again. You get maybe one game a year at a conference where you're like, oh, this is kind of new and cool. But there's so much uh, there's so much of a penalty to lose these non-conference games that you're only going to play the, the one pretty good team, and then you're going to get a bunch of scrubs, and then you get your boring conference schedule. So I, I like the idea. I'm, I'm with, I hope they stay until 2025 just because of the transition, you know, Brent Venables and everything, but also for the, the schedule, the new schedule. That sounds fun. Uh, and who knows? Maybe they'll add more teams in the Big 12 in the next year or two. I don't know. Yeah. I, Nobody I just, knows anything I don't, right now. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand the perspective of – or maybe I do if I'm, not, if I'm just not thinking about it hard enough, but I guess – it sounds a lot of fun to play BYU and UCF in conference for the next two or three years. It's different, like, I, I, you know. I mean, not for not for the next twenty years, but not for the next twenty years. Short but term, for, as as just a small little bite sized thing. Hell yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Let's do it. I I mean, 
I, and of course, like I'm the guy who was all pumped up about OU going on the road to play Tulane stuff like you know I I I just I I like cool stuff like that and um, gosh, I'm really glad they didn't play that game on the road against Tulane though they would have lost. Man, jeez, yeah. Okay, we got a couple more things that I kind of want to hit on. Uh, we got college football win totals that finally come out, and so we have the official numbers on OU and USC. And also, of course, since we last talked, Baker Mayfield has been traded. So we'll talk about those two things. But win totals, man. And I'm looking at DraftKings. I saw another website, Vegas Insider, has totals. So I'm going to guess that this is pretty set in stone. OU's win total for 2022 is 9.5. USC's win total for 2022, Grant, also 9.5. So... (laughs) This is super interesting to me because, like, it's too bad I'm not, you know, I'm in Oklahoma, you're in Minnesota. Heck, you can go across the border in Iowa, though, and you can go play some some wages if you want. But, I mean, this seems like a trap because I feel incredibly confident in Oklahoma over 9.5. I mean, this is the first time Oklahoma's not been at least 10 probably in a long time. So, normally, they get, you know, they go 10-2. and two, You're pushing. You're not winning. Now you can get 10-2, and two, cashes your ticket at Oklahoma. That sounds pretty good. And USC, uh, they got to go ten and two to cash that ticket over. Uh, yeah, like is this? Am I? This is this is classic too easy. I mean, under nine and a half USC sounds way too easy. They have to have one of the best turnarounds in college football history for you to cash that bet. I, I so this is super interesting because I thought I thought eight and a half, eight or eight and a half would be the number for USC. And at, at that number, then I'm, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, ah, uh, okay, I see that. Would still probably lean under at eight and a half. But at nine and a half, like, that is a slam dunk under. And just so I'm not crazy, I went back, at, you know, looked at their schedule again. And right off the bat, you can see three games that are going to be pretty darn tough at Utah, UCLA, and Notre Dame. There's three right there. They could lose all three of those. They play Fresno State. They too. play Fresno State in but LA. Fresno, it's a home game. Which is a which is a tough, a tough cultured team, which we I mean, we know the type that Lincoln Riley struggles against. Like I I it may seem hackish, but like we've seen it way too many times now. Well, I'll I'll raise you your Fresno State to a, a different team that's maybe even more likely to be more of a a difficult task at Oregon State. I mean, the Beavers they shellacked USC last year. In L.A. And so here's the thing with Oregon State. I'm not an expert on the Beavers. Don't get me wrong. But I remember listening to Petros Papadakis last year after that game. And he's a Fox college football analyst. He calls some games. And uh, he went to USC. He knows a lot about USC. And they, they don't like him at USC because he, he tells the truth about USC. He's, he's not really happy about the, the way the program's going. He, he doesn't ball wash USC. Put it that way. So I really enjoy his takes on USC and really everything. I I think Petros Papadakis is a really interesting guy. Anyways, that, that's not the point. After that game against Oregon State, he—he's—I—I I, I want to say he—he he said Oregon State all he did they lined up a bunch of tight ends and just ran the ball right at USC, smash mouth football. And I went back and looked at the numbers from that game. Oregon State had 322 yards rushing in that game, and like Alex Grinch's defenses though, they've actually been pretty good against the run at Oklahoma. They've been pretty good against the run. But I will say this, when I hear that a team put out a bunch of tight ends and just ran the ball and played smash mouth football against a team, 
What Big 12 team does that make you think of going up against uh, an Alex Grinch defense that he had problems with? Maybe, I don't know, Chris Kleiman led Kansas State league? Ah, uh, ding, 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 ding. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Lost to him twice. So I, there's four, maybe five games right there that are not, that like are losable. Three of the five are probably, like, Oklahoma. USC's going to be underdogs to Notre Dame. They're probably going to be underdogs to Utah, at Utah. Against UCLA, I don't know yet. Um, so, I, that's probably where that's Vegas's logic is probably they look at the schedule and they say the only two games where they're going to be underdogs are those two. And um, yeah, maybe that's right. But I'm just saying, like you're, you're probably it, yeah. just. I mean, that's probably the logic. I if I if I was Vegas here, I'd have OU's total at ten and a half, and USC's would be eight and a half. That, o, that OU should be about, ten. OU should be ten. I think. Ten and a half. I guess a I just high. I just I just. I think the Big 12 is going to suck this year. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a huge... I just... I don't think the Big 12 is that good. I don't think it was that good last year. I think if... I think if anyone can show up and have kind of overwhelming athleticism, talent, and competence, they can kind of run that conference right now. I, you know... I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm feeling good. I, I, I think OU is going to be really good this year. I... And it may be, and it may just be relative to the Big Twelve. I, you know, I don't know how good they're going to be relative to Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, who I think are so far ahead of everyone else. It's not even really worth thinking about. Um, I yeah. don't know, man. They got OU's got a lot of good players on their team. A lot and, of good players on their team. And and just to kind of drive home how you would have Oklahoma number one in the preseason poll, so would I, uh, and I'd have OSU too. I don't know who, who would you have too. OSU or Baylor? I'd really struggle right? between OSU and Baylor. Um, uh, okay, but so yeah, so the 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 odds makers in Vegas, you want to you want to guess Baylor's win total? Want to guess Oklahoma State's win total? They both seven and a half. Baylor is seven and a half. OSU eight and a half. See, thing I I think those totals are right. Those are correct uh, because like you're, I just. Baylor, you know what? I don't want to get into talk about Baylor and Oklahoma State again, but I, I think those are right totals because I just I one there is uncertainty at the quarterback position and at the skill positions um, in a Big Twelve that has been dominated by defense really the last two or three seasons, but is is kind of is is kind of injecting some new life at the quarterback position this upcoming season, kind of more of an air raidy life, and there's also more kind of like offensive coordinators in that in that mold coming into the co- conference this season as well. I know if if the conference is is, is trending back to that, I, I know exactly who my money is on. Man, Alabama's total <laughs> eleven and a half. <laughs> Basically if if they if they lose one game you can cash the uh you can cash the under. That's I I mean I don't know much about Alabama. I I guess they're supposed to be pretty good this year. <laughs> yeah i you know i i don't know i on, uh, on paper i think on yeah. paper i think ohio state's probably better on paper uh like well, you say like this big time guy is better than this big time guy but like also I'm, I'm still very much in the you're you're trying too hard if you're i alabama is absolutely my pick to win the national championship man spoiler Clem- alert clemson is 10 and a half 
That's that's right. That's also right. That's wow. Clemson was a lot better last year than their record indicated. Um, even they were they were dreadful on offense a season ago. They were really bad on offense. Um, but they they were just so much better than everyone else defensively. Um, and they just kind of had some breaks, you know, ten the right. Last year was like was Clemson's OU like two thousand five two thousand nine moment. That's what it was. I I think Clemson's probably gonna be really good again this year. Man, I and one more note on OU. So OU's total is nine and a half. That's at even odds. That's like you bet a hundred bucks, you win a hundred bucks. Like the it, they're DraftKings is favoring OU to go under, un, to go at least you know nine and three or worse. So I I mean, I mean these, we just we run like this is you gotta and hey man this is this is the push and pull right, the entire off season. Am I am, are my feelings wrong? Am I wrong? Am I am I missing something? Yeah. Um, maybe I don't really think I am though. I've watched a lot of college football, and it's, that's just for a regular season, by the way. So it's only the it's only the twelve yep. regular season games. All right. Lastly, Baker Mayfield to Carolina. Grant uh, Baker out of Cleveland. The whole ordeal, a lot to it. Um, I don't know, like. We've talked about this off the air. Uh, my thoughts haven't really changed a whole lot. I don't know if yours has either, but. Uh, I mean, I hope it works out. Like, I like Matt Rule. Uh, the the big hangup, I think, at least for me, and, and I know for you as well. Oh, maybe not for you as well. I don't know. I can't remember. I, my big hangup has been McAdoo. Well, you like him though, don't you? Or you don't think he's that bad? Well, I guess I. I mean, I was I was maybe. Yeah, this was a couple months ago. We were talking about this. I think we were talking about your reservations with McAdoo before Bake even went there or was traded there. But like you know, I, honestly, the more that I've read about McAdoo, I've kind of come around to to. Like you've sort of persuaded me on that. I'm concerned about him too. He doesn't have a great track record. He said a lot of really stupid things as an offensive coordinator. So, I mean, here's his background. And there's actually, I mean, there's some bad, but there's also, I found this out today doing research. There's a little bit of good here. And that can make you hopefully kind of grab onto the good. But starting in 2012, he began working with quarterbacks in the NFL. And he was in Green Bay. He was in Green Bay for a long time, but mostly uh, as a tight ends coach. But then they moved him over to quarterbacks, and for two years, he was a quarterbacks coach with Aaron Rodgers, all right? I think a lot of people could do that job. Uh, same idea. People could be the quarterbacks coach for Peyton Manning, quarterbacks coach for Drew Brees, Tom Brady. I mean, it's, it's, it's a job that literally anybody could do. <laughs> Adam Gase literally got two head coaching jobs yep. just because he was attached to Peyton Manning. Yep. Ridiculous. So, okay, but that you know, was parlayed for McAdoo into the Giants' OC job. So two years of coaching Aaron Rodgers got him the Giants offensive coordinator job. And in his first two years at the Giants OC, 2014-2015, the Giants statistically were a top 10 offense. I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. Uh, kind of surprising. He chucked that pigskin too, I think. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but then when he got the head coaching job, they were like, oh, wow, like McAdoo, he knows what he's doing. Gave him the head coaching job, and the offense those two years were uh, in the bottom third of the league. So the offense got bad. So uh, there you go. Maybe he's best as an offensive coordinator, singular, just that one job. And I guess that's kind of what you look at if you're hoping for the best from Baker Mayfield. Uh, he, he was out of the league for a couple of years after he got fired in New York, and he's come back. I, he, in 2020, he was, <laughs> he was the quarterback's coach in Jacksonville. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then last year he was with the Cowboys as a consultant. I'm not a big fan of the Cowboys' offense at all, really. I don't think. I think Cowboys are consistently overrated. 
Uh, so I don't know how much he learned there. And now he's at Carolina. So uh, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe he knows Matt Rule well. Maybe Matt Rule knows him. Hopefully he's learned a lot. Uh, I mean, that's not bad, though. I mean, a track record of having Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't the play caller for Aaron Rodgers, but he coached him. Play caller for Eli Manning, who, I mean, Eli Manning is, is not like a freaking awesome quarterback, but he, he's a good quarterback. It was towards the end. I mean, he could, he obviously is better than a lot of quarterbacks. And now he's getting Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's not a bad quarterback. So maybe there's something there. I just don't know what kind of offense he has. I don't know what his system is. And you'd hope that we'll it's going to be the system that was a top 10 offense for two years in New York. I think, I think it's more likely that he learns. And like, I'm, not, I'm not saying like in terms of like offensive pedigree. How, I think it's more likely if he's successful in Carolina, it's probably because of a really good partnership with Matt Rule and not Ben McAdoo. Um, but I, 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 I guess we'll see. I don't know. I, I don't... <laughs> I really don't like Ben McAdoo, actually, now the more that I've, <laughs> I've looked into it. Um, and I, it's because he's just said a lot of stupid things, a lot of rigid things. For instance, in 2017, he, he straight up said that Baker Mayfield was like in the bottom half of the quarterbacks in the draft. And then at number three overall, he freaking drafted Saquon Barkley. Like a freaking idiot. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you can't say stuff like that and then draft a running back in the top five. Can't do that. You cannot do that. And have any credibility? Oh, yeah, I guess yeah. So he was he was the coach whenever they drafted Saquon Barkley, huh? Yes. Yeah, that. Uh... But anyway, like if if I'm using that as my sole reason, it's not. I mean, he's just he's a character. He's kind of he's kind of a weird dude. You hope with Baker going there that it's more of just like, hey, it was his offensive coordinating in the first place that got him an NFL head coaching job that allowed him to spectacularly fail in that regard. <laughs> so you hope going back to his roots, you know, are going to help there. But no, if, if, if Baker is successful in Carolina, it's going to be because of himself, Matt Rule, Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, et cetera, et cetera. Not, probably not because of Ben McAdoo. All right. Yeah, hopefully Christian McCaffrey can stay on the field. I mean, uh, Baker goes from a really good running back in Nick Chubb to a, another awesome running back in Christian McCaffrey. It's just... McCaffrey cannot stay on the field. Uh, all right, before we go, I, I, I'm on the West of Everest Facebook page, and Shelly has just left a message or a comment, so I'll read Shelly's comment. She says, I hope Lincoln Riley was blindsided by USC's move to the Big Ten. And we haven't talked about that part of the story at all. Uh, it is kind of interesting that, that uh, Riley goes to the Pac-12, and the whole thing was like, the Pac-12 is the Pac-12. It's, he's in a great position to win it. It's, it's an it's a easier conference, not as much competition. Teams aren't as good, uh, especially compared to the SEC and even the Big 12. And, and now, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's going to be coaching in the Big 10 with super random travel schedules and having to go. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine whenever Riley took that job, there's no way that he knew this was going to happen. Like, it had to have come up. I mean, since he's gotten the job, that those talks had to have come up. But, uh, yeah, it is kind of it's kind of interesting. Uh He's not going to be in the Pac-12. He's going to be in the Big Ten. And we'll see how that goes. Like, yeah. So much for that administrative alignment or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that's, it's, that's an interesting story kind of on its face, just like by itself. I, I, think, I think that little nugget, that little tidbit will be a lot more interesting in five years if Lincoln Riley's not at USC anymore. Yeah. Good point. So, All right. Well, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. That, that aspect of it, I'm not... I, like, man, I don't even know if Lincoln Riley's going to coach in the Big Ten. 
I like I I think that guy is so kind of squirrely and so and I I just I I don't know who knows but I mean absolutely I mean it's 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 kind of fun like the thought of USC playing you know playing in Iowa City at 11 a.m. on a Saturday sounds great I don't think like that shouldn't be any sort of reason for the this deal to not go through like I always find that super odd like oh my god all these 18 to 22 year old kids traveling and three and a half hour plane rides like oh come on like everyone remembers what they were like at that age no they don't care it's 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 more it's more so for the adults who have to go like that sucks for them but for the kids it's fun for them yeah i I mean for football it's not as big of a deal for the other sports though usc and ucla that's that's fair yeah like you know like you yeah, go to Wednesday you go, night. To U- you go to USC to play baseball or softball or whatever or UCLA to play softball like now you got to be making all these trips to the Midwest and stuff and not playing on the West Coast. I mean that's That sounds probably hurt recruiting. That sounds like a lot of fun actually. Yeah, maybe it will be. Like you I mean you're you're with all your best friends, you're tra- like you have to travel with anyone else. That sounds like a blast. I sucks for the adults with families for sure, but for the kids, that's like the travel schedule is the least rigorous on the. I'm kids. just thinking about the weather, man. I just you're 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 going to Southern California to play softball or baseball, and you're assuming all of your games are going to be in beautiful, you know, warm weather, and now you got to go play Minnesota in uh in on April second when there might be snow you, on the ground play, still. You play you play Minnesota on April second. You're playing in U.S. Bank Stadium, not on campus. Oh, okay. That's the oh. same. Like you like a lot of Big Ten teams play a lot of their games indoors. And then they go and play at their home stadiums the last month. They're playing home baseball games inside U.S. Bank Stadium? Yes. The the Gophers played more home games at U.S. Bank Stadium this year than they played on campus. Oh, all right. Well, never mind then. Way to just crap over my point. It's a great way to end the show. We're back, people. We are back. uh, And we'll be back next week. Like Our whole thing was uh, once we came back with a podcast, we're going to stick it out. So the plan is to be with you guys uh, until further notice, you know. Uh, whatever that means. We are going to record a podcast every single day until Brent Venable just delivers a national championship to the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> it's going to be a really—I don't know. It could be could be a really long twenty-five years. Could be could be a really could be a really enjoyable nine months. I don't know. We'll find out. It's going to be really tough whenever he leaves OU without without winning one, and we're just crap. What do we do now? <laughs> we just wait for him to come back, or. Mm. All right. Well, no, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good season. I'm 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 starting to feel feel really good about this team. Um, I just I, I think I think they might have it, and it's I I really don't think there's as much hopium going on here. <laughs> they really do have hopium. Yeah. Oh boy. I'm just you know just using an internet term. They really do have more proven college football players than a majority of college programs have right now. Um, and they're also Oklahoma. I, I'm starting to feel feel pretty pretty bullish about this team. I, and so hopefully you guys will join us for the ride. All right, that's all for today. We'll be back next week with more West of Everest. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also... Tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.